right, Periscope. And, uh, oh, here we go. Not perfect, but perfect enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sportscope. I'm your host, Robert Butler, on, on uh, Periscope, Twitter, Facebook, and the podcast, everybody. Sorry about that. I had to get me a sip of water before I get started. Want to talk about the remembering uh, legendary coaches in college football, Pat Dye, Johnny Majors, uh, the un... Uh, for, speaking of college football, uh, for seeing death of Rasheed Codwell died today. He was uh, he was shot and killed last night, 41 years old. I'll get into that. But first, I wanted to get into this division in sports caused by outside outside influences. And, you know, it was a funny thing. Before I get started in jumping in right into everything, I just want to say, everybody, that the unity that I've seen this weekend and over the past four days of people uh, walking in the streets all around the country holding hands, very surreal and... It was touching, and I think we'll get real change going on. Okay, I just want to say that uh, it, it put me in a good mood. I, I'm in a really, really good mood today, despite you know pandemics and and uh, and a lot of divisiveness and all that other stuff going on, uh, the uh, protest and all that. But I, I'm really in a good mood today. But I wanted to talk about this Drew Brees thing over him being against the kneeling. Of course, we all know this a little bit of old news now, but I do this show once a week, and I just wanted to talk about this. I noticed that as I was reading about this story, as it was coming about, uh, you know, you've got reporters out here and and your uh, social media columnists and everybody saying on their social media, guys like Mike Florio, give, give Colin Kaepernick a job now because – he took a knee for a police. I mean, come on. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. But, you know, I, I, I see I see where they're going at with it. And, you know, I so saw I'm reading through all this stuff and, and, and I had to read over Drew Brees' comment because I know he was getting destroyed on social media the other day about this. And I noticed that it said that he, you know, he made this great speech about both of his grandfathers being in World War II and everything, and the only word that, uh, the only part that really ticked people off was, uh, for he just said, he sees that as disrespecting the flag, you know, and taking the knee, disrespecting the flag, and of course LeBron James comes out and says, it's not about the flag, don't he need to understand it's not about the flag. Well, uh, for my friends on the right and my friends on the left, there, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really ticked off about what LeBron said. I mean, I thought I was going to be, because I know he he says stuff without being properly informed. He he he's big at doing sound offs on things and making big bold polarizing comments and 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 barely knowing anything about it because he never elaborates on just about anything. And so many people kiss his rear end. That, that, you know, I can't hardly take LeBron serious half the time. 
But this particular time, you know, I, it really did not. I mean, I know some of my guys on, on the right, they're like, well, I don't want to ever watch him again, yada, yada, yada. Uh, to explain what Drew Brees is saying, all he's saying is what I get of it. Hey, it's cool to protest, man. You know, nobody, and like I said last week, a lot of empathy for what's what's happened. I know a lot of people's talk about Mr. Floyd's death and talking about dismantling police departments, which is completely insane, in my opinion. I'm glad I don't live in Minneapolis, but that's a different topic. Uh, you know, a lot of empathy for what's going on. But when, when you see this with Drew Brees and... and uh, he just he he don't want you to go about that means as far as going and doing the the whole flag thing you know the kneeling from the flag he says that comes off as disrespectful and you know it's hard to get too mad at a guy that said he just take that approach that's all I mean you know but like I said I wasn't really ticked off at what LeBron said but I tell you what really does tick me off and it really dawned on me when I was preparing for today's program and and that was simply. The outside voice, for instance, there's this lady named, uh, I th I'm probably butchering her name. She's a writer for USA Today, the columnist, and her name is Hamel Javeri, J-H-O-V-E-R-I. And she uses uh, divisive terms like white privilege and, and systematic racism when she was writing about this LeBron James, Drew Brees um, conflict about, you know, NFL players kneeling for the flag. And it, it really dawned on me. And I noticed that Charles Barkley said the same thing. He said, you know, the talking heads are piling on Drew Brees just because he thinks that's disrespectful. He thinks it's, it's going over the top. You're, you're Stephen A. Smith, people like that of the world. And, and, and this writer for USA Today, and I thought to myself, you know, that, that's what's really more divisive is these outside influences like this woman, Hermel uh, Javeri. Javeri, I'm probably butchering her name. She's a writer, USA Today, and someone from inner city, uh, I'm white, uh, Caucasian, whatever. I haven't done with ancestry things. I might have some other nationalities. Uh, I grew up in the inner city. I uh, lived in the projects, uh, public schools all my life. I had to deal with reverse racism. I was the only white guy in a lot of these classes growing up. And as I got older, um, after I went to college, uh, after I graduated high school, I've worked for security firm in uh, Nashville, the former Nashville Police Department. And uh, also worked security in New York City and worked with former NYPD, former detectives and, and, and know some current new a lot of current detectives and, and, and police because I had to do instant reports to my security firm. So I have probably more credibility on this topic, uh, particularly for my age and 95 to 99 percent of the people talking about it. And particularly, I know I have more credibility than Hamel Javeri of USA Today. I have, I, I can put my resume, and I thought I had my Bible up here. I was going to put my hand on the Bible and promise you I have more credibility on this. And 
you know, the, the, when you use – and, and, and credit LeBron, he didn't use that term white privilege. So that term white privilege is, is very offensive to people like me who, who's had to work hard for everything. If there's anything that's a classism issue here uh, for people not being able to get the proper lawyers and all that stuff to get out of legal issues. But, but for her to say stuff like that, it's very divisive. And for athletes, my, my thing to you is you don't please, you shouldn't listen to this. If you really want to make a difference and you want to win over the other side, don't use terms like systematic racism and white privilege. Neither do not exist. Uh, the NFL has 70% of uh, black African American, I think it's like 82. 82 to 90 in the NBA. So it's much more in the NBA. Uh, those are examples of the best player, the best athlete getting the job, folks. Uh, I've told this story to a good friend of mine, a black guy. He was very upset about what happened with Floyd. We've been talking about this every day. And last week, he's from the hood too, black guy. Court, very educated, very smart guy, very good friend. Considered one of my best friends, actually. He's in that category. And I tell him about going to Austin P in 2004. Uh, 2004, 2005, a real good friend of mine. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Terrell Clark, uh, going to school for broadcast journalism. Uh, he's in his senior. He's ahead of me. I didn't graduate till six. He was a year ahead of me. Really likable guy. His his idol was Drew, uh, 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 Stuart Scott, the late, great Stuart Scott. Of, of ESPN at the time. And um, Terrell applied for a weekend sports job in Chicago market while a senior in college. That is a big jump. And Terrell comes back and says, there were five other white guys in there. And the, he talked to me straight because, I, you know, like I said, I grew up in the hood, very big into sports black culture and all that stuff. So I was very, he's very comfortable with this. And he said, man, dude, I was the only black guy in there. There was five other white guys older than me. I knew they had more experience than me. And as soon as I walked in, very few questions, the interviewer asked me, they offered me the job on the spot. And he said, I knew that was because I was black. Now, at the time, I said, listen, brother, take that job. Who cares if they hired you just because you're black and they needed me to quota? Take that opportunity. You want to get the ESPN, go work in that Chicago market and go to ESPN. That's how uh, Mike uh, Greenberg, you know, got he, he came from the Chicago market. He moved into ESPN News. So uh, that is an example of, and maybe you can make the issue, it's systematic racism the other way. But uh, systematic racism does not exist. Now, white privilege, when you tell a person who grew up in the inner city, lived in the projects, First day we moved into projects, uh, 1989, you know, I'm seven years old, about to turn eight. I'm, I'm, I'm 38 now. I'm taking my scooter down and, and riding it around the projects. It's one of those little scooters. Man, those scooters are big now, by the way. But they were also big for kids and, and they were big for adults now. And I'm pushing this little scooter. And this black kid, four years older than me, I don't understand racism. Now. I just, I'm just a kid, you know. He walks up to me and hits me in the side of my face. And the whole side of my face was black, you know? And 
I thought, man, I told my mom, I said, what do you do that for? He said, well, you know, these kids are, there's some racist kids here. You got to be careful. The bullets and it's a bad neighborhood, very bad neighborhood. You know, uh, I used to have to walk over drug needles going into school. Uh, I was beat up. I was called white, cursed white, explicative, white, explicative, white, explicative. I told the teachers, nobody did anything. This is in the 80s, early 90s. Little kid, you know. And like I said, from growing up there, even to today, I'm 38. I go to a white church, Brentwood Baptist, which our pastor talked about on Zoom, of course. We still ain't got our full going. And also go to an all-black inner city men's Bible study uh, that I've been going to for seven years. So I'm more qualified than just about anybody to talk about this subject. You know, uh, like I said, and I've, on the other side, I've worked with former NYPD. I worked with former Nashville Police Department through security uh, for 13 years. So I have a resume. And yes, white, my, someone said white privilege doesn't, it don't exist. People, um, to try to be polarizing like this Hamel Javiri from USA Today. She's white. You need to speak for yourself on that. It's not, you can speak for yourself. And I, I think a politician, her name is Kristen Gillibrand. She was running, uh, she's a senator out of New York, I think. And she, she's running for, she, she uses that to, 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 to win over Votes, but if you know if I'm black and I knew some white people growing up in the inner city, I'd be offended by that because I know my my white brothers uh, had the same amount of issue as my black. If I'm black, you know, um, so it does not exist. And LeBron needs to really look deep within himself and say, "Do I really want to make a change, or I just want to sound off?" You know, Rasheed Caldwell. I'm gonna talk about his death in a minute. He's 41 years old. He was killed uh, in a shooting. Uh, that's being investigated. You see what I'm saying? He was killed in the shooting. And we need to talk about more inner city violence. Uh, uh, the deaths in Chicago every week, rather than this. You know, like I said, the FBI statistics, and I know a lot of people want to hear this, uh, published by the Washington Post, not exactly a right-wing news site, that that black people are, are killed less, way more or less likely than, than white in the last two years in police shootings. And plus the, the encounters are, are massive. The encounters are massive for black communities. Uh, you know, the, the encounters are, those are the facts. Those are the facts that people on TV won't tell you, not unless they're on some kind of network that, uh, you know, and I don't want to get into the politics of it. My point is that, that these things don't exist. And if you want to make a change, I know a lot of athletes are talking out about this. I know a lot of uh, coach, uh, the coach of the Broncos said, I've never seen racism. And he got scolded for that. You know, little Wayne said he never seen, he never witnessed any racism. And he's got criticized for that. It's like, if you don't go on with the herd of, of the, uh, of the mass uh, social media, which is primarily on one side of everything, uh, that you're part of the problem. No, that's part of the problem. Bullying is part of the problem intimidating people from not really saying free thought is part of the problem using offensive terms and listening to these outside influences like this part and, and even on the right side are the president and stuff 
listening to that and not just being honest and and, and it's very much a gray area. It's not black and white with, with, with police brutality and all that stuff. One is too many. Do not mandate police departments compliance and reporting. You know something, you know, I hear that all the time. I'll sir, I'll sir, ma'am, I work with personal people who live that work in the police department that I know are not prejudiced. They're black. And the encounters that they have, and I lived in the hood, I've witnessed encounters. And one more story here. Um, I know this stuff not to be true. And 10 years ago, I moved back to my part of my uh, of a part, I moved part of my old hood. And I had it was in East Nashville, uh, Inglewood, and had a new car, did not have tenant windows, and a cop pulled me over for a seatbelt violation. You know, I had a seatbelt on. He wanted to see if I was a drug dealer. So the real issue is it's more about high crime area and profile because you're in a high crime area you're more likely to get pulled over in a high crime area. Uh, if you if you uh, have a, you know, like a drug dealer car, big system, the cool car, really. I, lo I love the drug dealer car. We're up in the 80s and 90s. If you had, you're more likely to get pulled over. But the real issue is, is, is guys keeping guys out of trouble. And like Jim Brown was said, uh, now like I said, uh, you know, more the people are in jail didn't have fathers growing up. That that that's a deeper issue in education in the industry. Uh, that 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 is more what we have to have mentors, fathers, and all that stuff to keep from getting pulled over uh, and arguing with the police. And, and I also think that education, just to get off on this and get over with, before I get into Rasheed Caldwell, um, how to deal. This is what a PSA. How to proper way to deal with the police when you do get pulled over, so you don't make them paranoid is, uh, and I saw this on our uh, on the news years ago, when I first got my license, when I was 1697, uh, the, the, the chief of police or one of the higher-ups at a Nashville PD talked about when you get pulled over, you always have your hands on the steering wheel and so they could see your hands. And, and then then they say, well, can I see your license, your registration? And in this state, proof of proof of insurance. Then you just say, okay, let me get that. You get it. It's usually in the glove box, right? You give them that, the cool, they say step out of the car because I want to detain you. You watch live PD. Usually that's because they, they they either have a warrant or they can smell pot in your car, which is, a you know, some kind of substance or whatever, or you're acting fishy. But if they don't, people don't do that, Not or not unless you have it, uh, a stolen drive-out drive out tag or whatever. So, or, or, or aspire, not aspired tag, like a stolen tag that's not registered to that vehicle. Like I said, I watch a lot of live PD, and I know personal cops that I know are not prejudiced from, from, like I said, New York, here, personal friends, people 30-something years in the fort, not rookies, you know. And, and all that being said, one's too many, you know. One, one instance too many where you got a bad cop, you got a pocket of racism here. And I still say this, put in for, uh, we need like an oversight committee that's not their internal internal um internal affairs that's opposite and that will solve the problem but 
I think these athletes athletes gotta stop listening to these outside influences, talking heads on TV, media members, people that are not really in the sports, but they want to stir things up for their own brand. I really think that's a bigger problem in sports, putting it tying it back into that. And and uh speaking of, you know, uh bettering themselves. Uh, these athletes want to give all this money and stuff, the justice and everything. Michael Jordan, $100 million over 10 years through his Nike brand. And I'm glad he talked about education, not just, you know, justice reform. We all want that. But teach people how to how to get up out of these, uh, educate them to, to be independent. The reason why I'm saying this is 85%, now it may go down to 80 of NFL players are broke within two years outside of the league. Uh, for those of you who may have not heard this, uh, Rasheed Caldwell, who uh, was shot and killed last night in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Caldwell played for Florida, University of Florida, in the late 90s and the 2000 uh, under Steve Spurrier. He also play, uh, drafted by the Patriots. Uh, drafted by the Chargers, excuse me, played with the Patriots. And I want to say he played with somebody else, didn't have a long stint. He played seven years in the NFL. And, um, yeah, I got in a lot of trouble post-playing career. Uh, he did 27 months in jail for, um, oh, geez. He went to federal prison for, for drug possession, tended to sale back in 2014. Then he got in trouble for, he pleaded guilty to one conspiracy to commit health fraud with several other former players, uh, filed uh, uh, nearly $4 million in false insurance claims over 18 months. He expected to be sentenced. But a lot of people remember Rashid Caldwell and his brother Bubba Caldwell said that um, he has nightmares about that 2006 AFC championship game between New England and the Colts. Between New England and the Colts, he had um, had nightmares. Now, I remember that bug-eyed look he had on his face, that deer-in-the-headlights look he had, uh, dropping big passes in that game. Remember, if you guys recall, that particular game, which was replayed on NFL Network, ironically, last Saturday, I think. Saturday, Sunday, I remember my dad was telling me about it. And the Colts were down at home 21-3 to to the Patriots. And, and uh, they rallied to come back and win that game. And remember, that Colts team, that was their first Super Bowl. They beat the Bears. It had... Uh, Tony Dungy, and uh, talking about blacks and stuff. Uh, the, the head coach of, um, his name is Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith was the head coach of that Bears. They had a really good Bears defense in the Super Bowl that year. It, it, that's another example of systematic racism just doesn't exist. You know, I had, that was the Super Bowl. You had two black head coaches. Uh, and, and, of course, Tony Dungy, uh, the Colts won that team uh Joseph Adai was a running back on that team. I want to say his name was uh, Butler, the um, defensive safety that really helped the Colts stop the run that year. Yeah, Illinois. Yeah, he coaches for Illinois. I just got a contract extension. Somebody mentioned Lovey Smith. 
that was one of the better games in NFL history. Rashid Caldwell, brother says he, he had nightmares about that game. Uh, he said he, he felt a void in his life after football. He did try to open up a company, but it just didn't work out for him. Uh, you know, hood, uh, inner city violence in the hood, uh, people killed in Chicago uh, every week. We had marches for that, too, as well, because those numbers vastly outnumber the, I think it's what, like 10 last year, unarmed black guys. You know how many unarmed people were killed in Chicago? It, it, it's in the hundreds and hundreds. And the kids, uh, just Chicago alone, inner city violence, man. I tell you, I, I grew up with a guy who's 27 that got killed. Now, he pulled a gun out on a cop. And uh, he was crazy. But, uh, yeah, but Caldwell, you know, I tell you, he he's uh, – the guy will be remembered, man. He's uh, – it, it's a very unfortunate situation to be – you know, 41 years old, still very young. Uh, like I said, I, and the funny thing about that is that they could not go hand-to-hand. That was only a four-point game, That that going back to that AFC Championship game between the Colts. The next year, they got Wes Welker and Randy Moss. That was ironic. And that was a year they broke every record, and they, they went 16-0, only to lose. To, to the Giants in the Super Bowl, and in my opinion, one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time, the uh, David Tyree catch, uh, the Plexico Burris, the defensive line play, Eli Manning. So Rashid Caldwell makes me think about that, but a lot of people forget how great a player he was in college under Spurrier. I know he's a great player in college because I, I was pulling for the Tennessee team, and, and we get smoked just about every year by that uh, uh, Gator team, but led by Spee Spurrier. Some years, Tennessee would lose a heartbreaker. Uh, I want to say it was Rashid Caldwell in the 2000 game against Tennessee. He's the guy who caught the ball, and the, the guy from Tennessee knocked it out of his hands in the end zone. But the ref said he had the ball long enough to secure the touchdown to give uh, Florida, that win, very heartbreaking, one of many heartbreaking losses. Tennessee's lost to Florida, but Florida's had Tennessee's number for a number of years. <laughs> so that that's I'm not making any excuses for that particular one. Uh, but anyways, that was just a look back at that. Rashid Caldwell, 1979 mm, to 2020. Man, I tell you, way too young, my friend. Yeah, I love that. I love that play. I, I just that uh, Manning uh, alluding. Someone asked a question. My uh, uh, someone made a comment about that. Hold on, everybody. I have to uh, restart my pair uh, my uh, podcast. But anyways, yeah, someone was making a comment about that Eli Manning getting away from that pass rush uh, in that Super Bowl. He looked like he was sacked two or three times. Throws the ball up. Tyree catches it off of his helmet. The safety, I can't remember his name, but he's on uh, the safety for the Patriots at the time. Uh, he, he was all over. Uh, he, he's on uh, NF, uh, Sunday Night Football, Sunday Night Football in America. Can't, I can see the guy's face. I can't remember his name right now. Do you guys remember that? Either way, he, he's hitting that, hitting that ball, hitting that ball, trying to get it off, trying to knock it off. Uh, David Tyree's helmet there, and he's like, God just wanted them to win that game because I did everything I could. 
But uh, that was a great game. That was an um, interesting rival there, not to be um, undersold. Okay, two great coaches died this past week. Yeah, death and riots. I tell you, that's all we're talking about. Rodney Harrison. Yes, Rodney Harrison. Um, some would say he's one of the dirtiest players in the league. Sometimes I can agree with that. Sometimes I can't. I think he's just a good fundamental tackler. Um, Johnny, uh, Johnny Majors died this past week. His former head coach of uh, University of Tennessee, Pat, died, died of fit, uh, uh, kidney failure. I, I don't. I don't get the quite the cause of death. I, I just know Mr. Coach Majors of Tennessee, uh, former coach of Tennessee, also coached at Pittsburgh, uh, won a national championship with Pittsburgh '76. Uh, Tony Dorsett, Heisman Trophy winner, went on to play with the Dallas Cowboys. He coached that team. I stand corrected. It was not Dan Marino on that set. Dan Marino played for Pittsburgh, but he he played for Pittsburgh. After um, Johnny Majors had won that championship in 76, Reno didn't come out until 83 uh, in the 83 draft. So I think he played in the in the late, late, like 79 to 82 or whatever for uh, the University of um, Pittsburgh. But anyways, yeah, Johnny Majors, a guy that, that uh, played football for University of Tennessee, won a national championship. He, he uh, oh, yeah, John Zook, Atlanta Falcons defensive end. Yeah, it's just a crazy day right here. Died today. Um, my memories of this guy was, you know, I'm looking at, I've looked up some of the biggest moments for him. He, like I said, won a national championship as an assistant for Arkansas back in 64. Barry Switzer was a coach of that team is what I read. Uh, Epic Recovery. Uh, started off on a bad uh, bad start, came back and finished 8-4 and four in 81, 82. Uh, the end streak against Alabama, that was Bear Bryant's last year. First SEC title in 85 for the for Tennessee. Uh, started off as a losing seasons and came up into uh, 1-89, an SEC championship game. This guy held a big grudge against Tennessee for years, uh, had some health problems, uh, his his assistant uh, took over in 92. A longtime assistant was Phil Fulmer, his current uh, athletic director for Tennessee, held a grudge, called him Judas. Judas is, is, is a character in the Bible who who turned on Jesus. That, that, that's what that's what he called. Did not talk, did not really associate with this team until uh, 2005, 13 years. Uh, came back uh, for the 86 uh, Sugar Bowl, 85-86 Sugar Bowl team. That team beat Miami. That team beat a great Miami team that was coached by Jimmy Johnson. That's how good a team that was. They didn't win a national championship, but that, that, was, a, that was a big bowl then. So, uh, like I said, forgave Tennessee. All is forgiven. Never really forgave Coach Phillip Fulmer. Yeah, Judas was the backstabber. Yeah, he didn't really forgive Coach Former, but he forgave Tennessee. Now, Former put a nice statement out about him, taught us how to be tough, really appreciated the guy, even though he held a grudge against Philip Former. Philip Former did not share that grudge. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Johnny Major's a great coach. Uh, he's, like I said, 
when when you win a national championship, he, he was a one eighty five and one thirty seven nine and six in bowl games. I remember the quarterback of the first year that he came to Tennessee. The quarterback said, "I think this guy's going to kill us." I said, "I don't think I'm going to survive training camp," and that, that's just how hard these coaches are. Uh, you used to hear that a lot about, like a Nick Saban. I mean, this guy's not in Nick Saban's class or anything. Don't get me wrong, but these old school coaches just coach your guts out, man. And like I said, another coach died of kidney failure. He had the coronavirus, but they didn't. I'm surprised they didn't list it. Was Coach Pat Die? Carnage Holloway uh, was the uh, yeah yeah scrambling quarterback there. Very uh, good call there. I remember him. Uh, Pat Dye died this week. Uh, you know, Pat Dye, for a guy who did not win the national championship, is one of the greatest coaches to never win a national championship. You know, I got to give Johnny Majors credit. He, 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 he was on one national championship team as an assistant. He won as a head coach. They were undefeated with, 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 uh, with Tony Dorsey, uh, running back of the Cowboys. Um, but Pat Dye, who, who played for Georgia, but he coached under Bear Bryant, Four SEC titles, three-time coach of the year. He's a real good coach. Remember, he won four straight against Alabama um, with a guy named Bo Jackson in 1985. Uh, and the, the, the interesting thing about this, if anybody's watched any documentary on Bo Jackson, Bear Bryant wanted Bo Jackson, started recruiting him out of high school. But remember, Bear Bryant was getting towards the end of his uh, career there, but freshman didn't start for Alabama. But nobody did not, he didn't grasp how good Bo Jackson was. Nowadays, Adrian Peterson started as a freshman. Now, he was in the news. He's talking about he, he's definitely going to knee or whatever. But I'm not mad at Adrian Peterson for that. But I remember how good Adrian Peterson was uh, with Oklahoma as a freshman. I said, that guy can go in the NFL today. I don't say that about ever. I don't say that about most players. Bo Jackson was one of those type of players. Uh, but they beat Alabama four straight. Alabama, uh, Darren Bear Bryant's heyday, they got the best of everybody. You know? They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're like they are now. Uh, now that's kind of changing. But, uh, you know, Pat Dye was an awesome coach. Uh, they never did win. Never did win a championship, but he 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 did. He had a really high percentage. Like I said, he had like one fifty, uh, one three times as many games as he lost. He um, like a four straight against Alabama, three straight coach of the year, four SEC titles, and he was a great interview. Paul Feinbaum would bring him on up to just a few years ago. Uh, I mean, I don't listen to his show that much now. Paul Feinbaum's show. He would bring on Pat Dye, and you can listen to this guy talk for hours. I mean, he just, one story after another. Uh, remind me a little bit of another coach of Alabama, the 92 championship team, Gene Stallings. These guys could just talk and talk and talk, and you really get caught up in, yeah, yeah, and I love that. I just love that. Remember they brought Bo in on the documentary of um, – was it that 30 for 30 uh, Roll Tide War Eagle or something like that? The, the, the yeah, uh, the, the documentary of um, uh, of Alabama and, and, and Auburn rival. It, it's, I know a lot of people talk about Michigan, Ohio State, but football is just bigger in the South. That might not be a good thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe we need to. 
concentrate more on education. But me, personally, for what I personally see and read, and especially since uh, following Paul Feinbaum over the past seven or eight years, I didn't know about Paul Feinbaum until like 2012 or whatever. And that's the biggest rivalry in college football, maybe in sports. I mean, possibly the Yankees-Red Sox because it goes back farther because baseball is an older sport. But, yes, yeah, he wanted to beat Bear Bryant. You wanted to beat Alabama because that's all Bo knew growing up. Bo was a kid, a preteen in the 70s. Alabama beat everybody. I want to say Bear Bryant won six national championships. And you want to beat Nick Saban. You want to beat Bear Bryant. You want to beat Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops. Uh, maybe Bob Stoops. He's got a higher winning percentage. You want to beat these high-quality coaches. Uh, also, yeah, he did beat Bear Bryant his last year, too. Pat Bob beat Bear Bryant his last year, and so did Johnny Majors. Uh, General Nealon had, had a pretty good record of Bear Bryant. Now, that's the guy who University of Tennessee's football stadium is named after his real general in the Army, whatever. But, you know, guys, I know I'll talk about three deaths today. Uh, again, I'm in, I'm in a really good mood. I, I've been reading all the, the, the logistics of the NBA. Uh, they're still working out the uh, who, who, what happens if a player gets coronavirus in Orlando. Uh, I did read the store. I was going to talk about Kevin Durant. There were rumors that he might come back for the Nets. Uh, this morning I read that Durant said, no, I'm done for the season. I'm going to come back this year. That would have been a good storyline to talk about. I'm not so optimistic about baseball, but four TDs against Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, man, you ran, you really going way back there. Um, I'm 30. I didn't watch a lot of that. I knew about Bo. I read about Bo. I watched Bo Jackson in the professional leagues. Uh, a lot of my dads and my friends, their dads talked about the legend of Bo Jackson in college with Herschel Walker in college, dominated in college. Herschel Walker went the three national championships. He did win one with Georgia. Uh, this is some great players in, in the SEC, particularly running backs. And what, what has really changed, you know, Nick Chubb, guys like that, Georgia, great running backs. I mean, Derrick Henry, the NFL's leading rusher, Alabama running back, right? Uh, plays here for the Titans. But uh, my thing is, going back to the NBA, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I know it's going to be July 31st. A uh, little bit of criticism. Like I said last week, and I still stand by that, I wish they could start uh, around the 4th of July weekend. Uh, if he went game seven in the finals, and Colin Coward brought it up this week, it would be October the 12th. That's seasons overlapping in the NBA. And I'm thinking to myself, October 12th, now you're starting to compete head-to-head with the NFL. He says if, if a star like a LeBron James is in there, uh, your ratings are going to tank. He said, ask, ask Major League Baseball. If the Yankees aren't in there and you're going against NFL, you're, you're going you're to hurt. And that's why I wanted to get that much for, for somebody who wants the NBA to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I know, man. Yeah, the Bo Jackson. This guy still talking about the Bo Jackson stuff. But anyways, 
that is all I have. I know Pat Dye was he was a big Bo Jackson guy. He, he coached him. Uh, Bo Jackson's one of my favorite athletes of all time. Between him and Deion Sanders, uh, the two sport guys there. Uh, like Bo Jackson better as a baseball player, even though I saw Deion Sanders live get an inside-the-park home run, and I thought that was one of the most amazing things. Forget about all – we all know what he did in the NFL. He, he's unbelievable. He didn't throw to his side. But uh, I saw him get that. I see. I remember uh, my stepmom forever talked about Bo Jackson running up the wall for the Kansas City Royals when that happened. They watched that – her and my dad watched that game live. <laughs> she said, this guy just ran up a wall. Uh, but, yeah, that Bo Jackson documentary, that's all good. But, uh, like I said, I'm a little disappointed in that. Not not got a lot of faith in baseball. But, like I said, I want to emphasize on that. Major League Baseball needs a makeover, and they need a hardship. They need to, they need to wake up and realize we need a makeover anyway. Forget about the coronavirus and all this stuff with money. Major League Baseball needs to speed the game up. They, they need to shorten the season anyways. Um, they need to put a uh, eliminate shifts, put the uh, the pitch clock in there, and uh, I think we'll be in better shape and let fans celebrate. Uh, let there be more noise, uh, not fans, let players celebrate. I just think all that needs to be done for Major League Baseball. I'll still emphasize on that this week. So, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a long show today, but I turned out got 41 minutes off of just these few topics you start talking about. The um, the riots and protesters and all that, but you know, again, I want to end the show again on the bright note, guys. I know we're in, we're going through a rough time right now, but we're all we're all going to be better for this. We're going to make changes. People are going to grow. Other issues. I know it's all about police brutality and all that stuff right now. Other issues are going to be talked about, though. You know, and. You know, I just think that I think that all good is going to come. A lot of good is going to come from this. I'm an optimist. I think sports unites us. And I just want to end. And again, I want to emphasize, I wish the athletes would not let I don't care if it's a politician, a writer, a columnist, a talking head, a former player. Do your own do your own bidding, pro athlete. Do your own bidding. Do, do your own thinking. Do your own research. Stop letting people dictate the, the narrative. Other outside forces. And a lot of times it's people who don't even like sports that really dictate that and, and want these players to talk about social issues that they're really not comfortable with and they end up saying something anyways. And us people like myself that really study this, read into this stuff, know it's hogwash. So anyways, that is my take. Have a good week, everybody. I'll be back on Next week, 7 p.m. Central Time. If you like this program, uh, you can like it on Twitter at rbutler723. Sportscope, hashtag Sportscope. Thank you. Hey, man, no problem. Yeah, follow me here on Periscope. Uh, you can follow my Periscope uh, at Twitter, rrbutler723. Facebook, Sportscope, S-K-O-P-E. That's my Facebook page. I'm trying to build this thing up. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Have a good week, everybody. I'll see you next week. And two things change just one day a week uh, as far as getting the sports going again. Um, 7 p.m. Central Time here on Sports Scope.